Chapter Twenty of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Twenty. I thought love had been a joyous thing quoth my uncle toby he hath a heart as sound as a bell and his tongue is the clapper for what his heart thinks his tongue speaks more said dysart startled by her expression and puzzled as well yes hurriedly this the very nervousness that is consuming her throws fire into her eyes and speech during all these long twelve months i shall be free quite free you forgot to put that in you must remember that if if i should after all this thinking decide on not having anything to do with you you vehemently will have no right to reproach me remember says she going up to him and laying her hand upon his arm while the blood receding from her face leaves her very white remember should such a thing occur and it is very likely slowly i warn you of that you are not to consider yourself wronged or aggrieved in any way why should you talk to me in this way begins he aggravated now at all events you must recollect feverishly that i have made you no promise not one i refuse even to look upon this matter as a serious thing i tell you honestly her dark eyes gleaming with nervous excitement i don't believe i ever shall so look at it after all pausing you will do well if you now put an end to this farce between us and tell me to take myself and my dull life out of yours forever i shall never tell you that in a low tone well well impatiently i have warned you it will not be my fault if oh it is foolish of you she blurts out suddenly i have told you i don't understand myself and still you waste yourself you throw yourself away in the end you will be disappointed in me if not in one way then another it hurts me to think of that there is time still let us be friends friends her hands are tightly clasped she looks at him with a world of entreaty in her beautiful eyes friends felix breathes she softly let things rest as they are i beseech you says he taking her hand and holding it in a tight grasp the future who can ever say what that great void will bring us i will trust to it and if only loss and sorrow be my portion still as for friendship joyce whatever happens i shall be your friend and lover well you quite know says the girl almost sullenly quite and i accept the risk do not be angry with me my beloved he lifts the hand he holds and presses it to his lips wondering always at the coldness of it you are free joyce you desire it so and i desire it too 
I would not hamper you in any way. I should not be able to endure it if, afterward, I thought you were reproaching me, says she, with a little weary smile. Be happy about that, says he. I shall never reproach you. He is silent for a moment. Her last speech has filled him with thoughts that presently grow into extremely happy ones. Unless, unless she liked him, cared for him, in some decided, if vague, manner, would his future misery be of so much importance to her? Oh, surely not. A small flood of joy flows over him. A radiant smile parts his lips. The light of a coming triumph that shall gird and glorify his whole life illuminates his eyes. She, regarding him, grows suddenly uneasy. You, you fully understand, says she, drawing back from him. Oh, you have made me do that, says he, but his radiant smile still lingers. Then why, mistrustfully, do you look so happy? She draws even further away from him. It is plain she resents that happiness. Is there no reason, says he? Have you not let me speak? And having spoken, do you not still let me linger near you? It is more than I dared hope for. Therefore, poor as is my chance, I rejoice now. Do not forbid me. I may have no reason to rejoice in the future. Let me, then, have my day. It grows very late, says Miss Kavanagh abruptly. Let us go home. Silently they turn and descend the hill. Halfway down he pauses and looks backward. Whatever comes of it, says he, I shall always love this spot. Though, if the year's end leave me desolate, I hope I shall never see it again. It is unlikely to rejoice too soon, says she in a low whisper. Oh, don't say that word rejoice. How it reminds me of you. It ought to belong to you. It does. You should have been called rejoice instead of Joyce. They have cut off half of your name. To see you is to feel new life within one's veins. Ah, I said you didn't know me, returns she sadly. Meantime, the hours have flown. Evening is descending. It is all very well for those who, traveling up and down romantic hills, can find engrossing matters for conversation in their idle imagings of love, or their earnest belief therein. But to the ordinary ones of the earth, mundane comforts are still of some worth. Tea, the all-powerful, is now holding high reverie in the library at the court, round the cosy tables, growing genial beneath the steam of the many old Queen Anne pots, the guests are sitting singly or in groups. What delicious little cakes, says Lady Swansdown, taking up a smoking morsel of cooked butter and flour from the glowing tripod beside her. You like them, says Lady Baltimore in her slow, earnest way. So does Joyce. She thinks they are the nicest cakes in the world. By the by, where is Joyce? She went out for a walk at twenty minutes of two, says Beauclerk. 
he has pulled out his watch and is steadily counting it it is now twenty minutes after five said lady swanston maliciously who detests beauclerk and who has read his relations with joyce as clear as a book how she must have enjoyed herself yes but where said lady baltimore anxiously joyce has been left in her charge and apart from that she likes the girl well enough to be uneasy about her when occasion arises with whom would be a more appropriate question says dicky brown who as usual is just where he ought not to be oh i know where she is cries a little shrill voice from the background it comes from tommy and from that part of the room where tommy and mabel and little bertie are having a game behind the window curtains blocks dolls kitchens farmyards ninepins all have been given to them as a means of keeping them quiet one thing only has been forgotten the fact that the human voice divine is more attractive to them more replete with delightful mystery fuller of enthralling possibilities than all the toys that ever yet were made thomas are you fully alive to the responsibilities to which you pledge yourself demands mr brown severely what says tommy do you pledge yourself to declare where miss kavanagh is now is it joyce says tommy coming forward and standing undaunted in his knickerbockers and an immaculate collar that defies suspicion yes joyce says mr brown who never can hold his tongue well i know tommy pauses and an unearthly silence falls on the assembled company half the county is present and as tommy in the character of reconteur is widely known and deservedly dreaded expectation spreads itself among its audience lady baltimore moves uneasily and for once dicky brown feels as if he should like to sink in his boot she's up on the top of the hill with mr dysart says tommy and no more lady baltimore sighs with relief and mr brown feels now as if he should like to give tommy something how do you know says beauclerk as though he finds it impossible to repress the question because i saw her there says tommy when mabel and me was coming here i like mr dysart don't you addressing beauclerk specifically he is a very kind sort of man he gave me half a crown for what tommy asked baltimore idly to whom tommy is an unfailing joy to go away and leave him alone with joyce says tommy with awful distinctness tabot lady baltimore lets her spoon fall into her saucer making a little quick clatter everybody tries to think of something to say nobody succeeds mr brown who is evidently choking is mercifully delivered by beneficent nature from a sudden death he gives way to a loud and sonorous sneeze oh dicky how funny do you sneeze says lady swanston it is a safety valve everybody at once affects to agree with her and universal laughter makes the room ring tommy i think it is time for you and mabel to go home 
says Lady Baltimore. I promised your mother to send you back early. Give her my love, and tell her I am so sorry she couldn't come to me today, but I suppose last night's fatigue was too much for her. Twasn't that, said Tommy. Twas because Cook— Yes, yes, of course, I know, says Lady Baltimore, hurriedly, afraid of further revelations. Now say good-bye, and Bertie, you can go as far as the first gate with them. The children make their adieus, Tommy reserving Dicky Brown for the last fond embrace. Good-bye, old man, so long. What's that? says Tommy, appealing to Beauclerk for information. What's what? said Beauclerk, who isn't in his usual amiable mood. What's the meaning of that thing Dicky said to me? So long? Oh, that's Brown's charming way of saying goodbye. Oh, says Tommy, thoughtfully. He runs it through his busy brain and brings it out at the other end, satisfactorily translated. I know, says he. Go long. That's what he meant. But I think, indignantly, he needn't be rude anyway. The children have hardly gone when Joyce and Dysart enter the room. I hope I'm not dreadfully late, cries Joyce, carelessly taking off her cap and giving her head a little light shake, as if to make her pretty soft hair fall into its usual charming order. I have no idea what the time is. Broken your watch, Dysart? said Beauclerk in a rather nasty tone. Come and sit here, dearest, and have your tea, says Lady Baltimore, making room on the lounge beside her for Joyce, who has grown a little red. It is so warm in here, says she nervously, that one remark of Beauclerk's having somehow disconcerted her. If, if I might, no, no, you mustn't go upstairs for a little while, says Lady Baltimore, with kindly decision. But you may go into the conservatory if you like, pointing to an open door off the library that leads into a bower of sweets. It is cooler there. Far cooler, said Beauclerk, who has followed Joyce with a sort of determination in his genial air. Let me take you there, Miss Cavanaugh. It is impossible to refuse. Joyce, coldly, almost disdainfully, and with her head held higher than usual, skirts the groups that line the walls on the western side of the room, and disappears with him into the conservatory. End of chapter 20 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.